It's interesting in this album because it's the first album of completely new material I've done in three years, which in pop music, three years can be an entire career. And it's, it's been that long since the last album. So I was interested in seeing, you know, what kind of music do I do now? Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And I'm Paul Lauren. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. From all about soul, way down to Zanzibar, it's still rock and roll, though we don't play no guitar. You rank them high, rank them low, you may be right, big man on Mulberry Street, here on Billy Joel A to Z. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second album wrap-up show. After covering 114 songs so far, we've come to the end of everyone's favorite Billy Joel album, The Bridge. The Bridge was Billy Joel's 10th studio album released on July 9, 1986, after a full three-year absence from his last unbelievable album. The album garnered four singles, two of which made the top ten, which would be great for any other artist, but a bit of a disappointment for Billy Joel. It also only had one true music video release, but that music video did include his wife and baby, so we let it go. The Bridge entered the Billboard album charts on August 16th, 1986 at 49 and was able to get all the way to number seven on September 20th, 1986, where it stayed for two weeks, because ironically, he could not beat Stevie Winwood's Back in the High Life album. Huh? How about that? Let alone the Top Gun soundtrack. After the release of this album, Billy Joel went on a massive tour, which spawned one live album and a DVD with a big heralded trip to Russia. The Bridge is also the only Billy Joel album with collaborations with other artists in subpar songs. And if you heard our introduction to the last album we reviewed, which was Turnstiles, then you can tell my opening is not as enthusiastic as it was for that piece of vinyl gold. This is nobody's favorite album. But today, Alan, Paul, and I are here to discuss the nine songs Billy bestowed upon us all the way back in 1986 when the charts were dominated by AHA and Huey Lewis and the News. So let's take a listen to the content we'll be talking about on this episode. A Billy Joel A to Z. There's a lot of tension in this town I know it's building up inside of me I got all the symptoms and the side effects of city life anxiety
changed Things are not the same, baby You overcame such a bad attitude Rock and roll just used to be for kicks And nowadays it's politics And after 1986, what else could be new? Kind of madness to be living by a code of 
All righty then, let me introduce my co-host through all these songs we've discussed and one live concert we both attended in which he played nothing off the Bridge album. Alan Altman, everybody. Hello, Alan. Hello, Dave. Hello, Paul. Uh, yeah, I think the way you describe this album is great. Nobody's favorite. Nobody's favorite. And of course, we are extremely lucky to have a staple in our album wrap-ups. Thank goodness his follow-up to his album, Betwixt, is out now and entitled Between. He is an amazing musician and a wonderful person. Please welcome back to the program, Sir Paul Lauren. So nice to be here. I love this tradition. I'm so psyched. We like it too, and we are extremely thrilled that you're even available to join us in these wonderful things that we do. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to be coming fast and furious now as we get towards the end of the alphabet. Like, you love it now, but we're going to have like 11 more of these to do. That's right. Great. Keep those parodies coming, Alon. Let's go. Oh, Ooh. God. Why do you encourage him? What's oh. the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> now I well, just write them for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. After the last, the Turnstiles album wrap-up, Paul gave me a lot more respect. You'll notice I'm not as mean to your parodies anymore once they're played with music and everything. It's And also after watching the Weird Al documentary, uh, I guess I have a little bit more respect for especially the volume that you are cranking them out. It is very impressive. Not easy to do. You got to give it up to him. It's not easy to do. I don't have to, Paul. I just <laughs> am because you made it that way. <laughs> I'm giving him a little more slack. Alon is a wordsmith. I'd say he's the Cole Porter of parody rap. <laughs> wow. That, that is the most amazing thing is that I've heard of Cole Porter. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. But uh, I will just begin by saying like we were saying this is nobody's favorite album. In fact, I mean, listen, there are plenty of people like, I don't know, I like the bridge, but it's the same thing as if you if I say I don't like Bruce Springsteen and all of a sudden I just, uh, you know, slap somebody's mom in the face. Uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to have an opinion. Sometimes people get very upset. But here's the thing about this album is that you could basically say that for us, for sure, Billy Joel's never had a bad album. So if you were choosing that one that might be not his strongest uh, this one is up in that category as a matter of fact i can tell you that rolling stone ranked in a reader's poll in 2013 rolling stone ranked the top 10 billy joel albums and this came in at nothing uh because <laughs> there are what are there 13 albums and yeah and, uh, yeah and they didn't even bother ranking this one so it's not just me or us saying it's just not his strongest work. And, and he has even said he doesn't really care for this album as well. Right. And um, I, I would go so far as to say this is my least favorite Billy Joel album. I'll just start it off that way. I, I think, I, I don't know. It was hard for me to think of even the rankings of the songs because after a few, they all kind of fit into the same muddle of songs that are okay. Like we've gone through all of them, obviously. We like parts of them. We don't like parts of them. But none of them really... Compared to Turnstiles, where we yeah. had the opposite problem, where we couldn't pick a favorite because we loved them all, for this album, I felt uh, kind of the opposite. Well, that's why I'm really excited to hear Paul's rankings because he blew us away with uh, the rankings for Turnstiles. Wasn't it uh, All You Want to Do Is Dance was number one, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's up there for me. I so mean, I'm it, excited <laughs> to uh, see what he has. I think mine's a waste of time. We all know what. Uh, mine are going to be uh, at least in the top but uh <laughs> you know it is exciting in fact one of the things you know paul always thank goodness uh you know plays for us uh some of the songs and 
I didn't even ask you I, at the other one. I said, Hey, do you think maybe you could play Miami 2017? Cause it's exciting. This one up to you. I have no interest in uh, any of the songs, but when you play <laughs> them, I know I'm going to get a different appreciation for them because, because oh, this album is in the way we uh, did our last song along the, the winter's crossing that that was before this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course it was. Cause we, this is the time is, yeah, right. This is the time is the last song we did before this. Episode. Right, right. So the Winter's Crossing, we were saying, God, we wish this song could have been on his last album. And the personal touch, uh, which maybe Paul could give just, a, 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 a you know, sing, him singing, Paul singing and the piano might give a different feel to the bridge. And I might feel differently at the end. So I was wondering, Paul, maybe uh, if you want to start off uh singing a selection of your choice okay wow what okay well yes before i do that i'm just gonna say this could not be more of a we we did a album wrap up on turnstiles and we couldn't have done more of a 180 album wrap up which which immediately follows it so uh, an embarrassment of riches on turnstiles an embarrassment Uh, you know i wasn't (laughs) sure what you were gonna say i thought being a musician and the way you did the listing on turnstiles. I thought maybe you're like, well, I don't know, guys. Uh, this is one of my favorite albums, you know, because I, I just wasn't positive. So I'm glad we all feel similar that it's it's not the usual quality we uh, expect in a Billy Joel album. I think that's right. I will. I'll just say that uh, there are so many songs on turnstiles that you could strip down and play at the piano, just a piano vocal. This is a lot harder to translate. I mean, these songs are really tied to their mid-80s production, right? So it's so hard to take, gosh, Modern Woman and, you know, or, I mean, oh, I love that song. But it's so hard to take a lot of these and uh, and break them down to their fundamentals. But um, there is one song on here that I do really love. Uh, I, I like a lot of them, but I think this one really, let's see, I haven't... Actually, I've never played it, um, so we're going to get a little. I went searching for the truth, and in my innocence I found All the conmen and their acrobats who stomped me in the ground If I count up their percentages, I know they're getting rich But they haven't taken everything, those paybacks are a bitch Though I've lost quite a lot still in control they can keep what they got but they can't have my soul and if I don't have this all worked up still I'm getting closer getting closer I still have far to go no doubt but I'm getting closer Okay, so wow, that chorus. I think that's an amazing Billy Joel chorus, by the way. I'm going to go now. (laughs) How so? Describe musically why that's amazing. Well, it starts on a, it starts on this chord, which he would never do, right? So you normally would, that's your chord, but normally he's starting there. It's a bit unresolved. He's getting closer. He's climbing. The chords just keep climbing in succession. I mean, I think it's I think it's kind of like an incredible album closer. And if I don't have this all worked up, still I'm 
Getting closer, keep climbing. Getting closer. Here's that chord again. I still have far to go, no doubt, but I'm getting closer. Getting closer. I mean, that's a great chorus. It is I, like he's, the way you're describing it now. It's my new favorite song off of the album, which I <laughs> had a feeling it might be. You know, when I was thinking about one of the songs you could play, that is the one I was thinking might work for what we're doing. I I, I do have a bit more affection for that song, and the, the the more I've heard it. Well, are you going to have the same affection after we get to our parody of it? No. Okay. Cool. However. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's when, when we think about this album, when we think about a song like that, I think what it could come also down to is that he's doing a duet with Stevie Winwood. And at that time in 1986, Stevie Winwood was the king uh, you know, of the world at this. I mean, that, you know, he couldn't even pass his own Stevie Winwood's album on the charts that mm. back in the High Life album was the shit. That's what makes it a bit of a disappointment and that you are working with the hottest star right now in the maybe the world. I don't know. I mean, that album was really, really super huge. It was used on TV all the time. It was everything. And maybe in that sense, it's a little bit disappointing. We, you know, even with Cindy Lauper in the same way, you know, you have these two kind of '80s icons at the moment who are on top of their game, and the songs just aren't good enough mm. for a duet. Yeah, well, the thing is with the Cindy Lauper one, at least like she collaborated in that she co-wrote the song with him. With Getting Closer, Billy Joel wrote it, so Steve Winwood was just playing the part. Maybe if he was allowed to collaborate a little bit more on it, it might have elevated the song a little bit. Yeah, especially a good point at that time when he was on his top of his game. Building the Bridge documentary, they mentioned that when Steve Winwood came into the studio, they jammed for about six hours that day, just playing old songs from Traffic and all of his other bands. Like none of Billy Joel music, just playing because they loved Steve Winwood so much before they even got to playing Getting Closer. Yeah, isn't that, I, I heard an anecdote that Liberty, Liberty knew all those songs kind of inside and out. I think there is a clip in that doc. Do we see them playing together? And we get like an outtake from getting closer and then they go into like a traffic jam, traffic song. Uh, <laughs> pretty incredible. And Liberty's just there like totally messing around and Steve's like, what's going on here? How, why are you obsessed with me, Liberty? Like, well, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, well, they mentioned also that Liberty in his high school yearbook, one of his friends wrote like one day, maybe you'll get to play drums with Steve Winwood. Mm. So then Liberty brought the yearbook to show Steve at this wow. session. So you know, they were obsessed. The obsessed. Uh, Billy was too. So I have a theory about Billy, right? So he goes to this, he goes a lot to this Steve Winwood voice in a lot of songs, including this one getting closer. But Steve Winwood's just trying to do Ray Charles, right? So Billy kind of marries this Ray voice with the Steve Winwood voice. And a lot of Billy's more soulful songs throughout his career, he's basically imitating Steve Winwood. And on Getting Closer, he has this kind of nasal thing. And if I, it's like a very thing like this. And he's trying to be a little more soulful. Uh, and he's and he's just doing the Steve Winwood voice. It's really 
crazy. I I think what's even crazier, and I, you know, because I love talking about the eighties and things like that. Stevie Winwood was their idols, Billy and Liberty for sure. We know that for a fact. Hmm. And when they were using him, when they bought him in, he was even bigger right then and there than he was when they were idolizing him 20 years before that. That's amazing. So true. Incredible. It's not like bringing in Ray Charles at the end of his career or something like that. You know, it's that's I found that to be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, Steve may have ousted Billy on the top of the charts, the record charts for his uh, back in the high life, but he couldn't match Billy wearing these uh, dad jeans on the back. <laughs> he didn't wear them as well as Billy. Did. Yeah. The back of the album cover with the dad that. jeans. And of course, the dad issue was the problem for this album as he has said multiple times he did not want to be in the studio he wanted to spend time with his kid we've all seen that before but he made a good point that he said i didn't have a father growing up i didn't want that to happen to my daughter and we also know how the record companies especially back then when there actually were record companies forced you to put out albums and he we know for him he was under you know, whether it's from the family productions or whether it's from the Columbia or whether it's from his horrible uh, <laughs> brother-in-law, <laughs> he was always being pulled and he didn't have time to create. And I'm assuming all that led to him leaving the business in its entirety. But yeah, yeah he was forced to do this because that is what happens back then. And I always use the band Boston as an example in the sense of that's the first time I had heard about you know boston with their their first unbelievable debut album and then this guy you know they're like come on we need one every year and he's like no it takes me three years to produce an album and for some reason they they let him do it and then you know don't look back was just as popular but that is rare people prince it ruined prince it ruined george michael the, the when you're an artist and you're forced to write it just doesn't work like that it's amazing that billy was able to be that productive in all that time when you're dealing with uh, legal stuff and all that kind of nonsense. So true. So true. Yeah. I mean, to can we blame him for being as jaded as he was circa 93, 94 and, and saying, I'm not going to make any more records. I think you're right about that. After this podcast and what we've been delving into with the, especially like the great wall of China. And then, you know, when you're thinking about the last album and then he still has problems you know that yeah. that weber family if it, the Artie rips then the weber family all coming at him just and it never stopped from cold spring harbor to river of dreams legal issues being stabbed in the back money all the time how could you ever blame them you're absolutely right well, do you think some of his best songs were inspired and fueled by that like would we have pressure would we have honesty would we even ha have she's always a woman if it wasn't for some of the these external forces coming i in? believe we would because i think he was that good he'd find another mm. some other outlet whether it you know this guy was always another gonna Weber find family. trouble and somebody that was gonna dick him over so if it wasn't right. those two it would be somebody else yeah. obviously he couldn't stay away from meeting the worst people <laughs> Yeah, but you got to give it to Elizabeth Weber. She's great. She inspired all the greatest songs by Billy Joel. <laughs> and obviously with this album, you know, the new wife wasn't good enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine not being inspired good enough uh, by Christy Brinkley that you have to go back to? Well, for a period, Elle McPherson really inspired me. Uh, it's, it's pretty <laughs> messed up. <laughs> <laughs>
Are you guys able to get any of the Webbers on the show? <laughs> oh, we we keep talking about that because you know she hasn't been seen or heard of. The, there's nothing on the internet. She is erased from existence. <laughs> but we know she's alive. Mm-hmm. She'd never come on this pod. I mean, why would she ever come out of retirement for this? Like, I did Billy a favor. And everything I did was for all good reasons. So you people have something to listen. I mean, what else could she possibly do? And I, we'd love to find out or go to her house and beat her up. Either or. Either or. Yeah. Equally good. Uh, let me just read you something. These are a couple of uh, reviews from the album. I'll read you one from uh, 2015 which was from Ultimate Classic Rock, which we've been reading their reviews in the album wrap-ups. For some 70s artists, embracing the sounds of the 80s was a little more than a desperate lunge for commercial relevance. Billy Joel's interest in synths and digital production has always seemed more sincere because he was using it way beforehand, right before everybody else. But one of the biggest flaws on the bridge is that the album often lacks the conviction of its own era. It's a case of the songs acting as a framework for the production rather than the production supporting the songs. Since Joel's albums really exist as a set of fully realized musical worlds, there's something brittle and disconnected about much of the record. There's something brittle and disconnected about much of the record. I think that describes it all. But let me give you this. This is in Rolling Stone in 1986. Anthony DeCurtis said this. This is a review of the album in 86. It's appropriate that Joel has chosen to call this album The Bridge, a title that evokes both the emotional ties the LP stresses, and the term for the musical passages that give songs their shape. The album's formal simplicity allows its meanings to emerge in a natural, unpretentious way. The result is a smart, sophisticated collection of songs that seemingly brings us closer to Billy Joel than we've ever been before and leaves us with a pleasant sense of expectation about the bridges we'll be crossing with him in the future. I think that that quote from 1986 is interesting because I think we were all like, oh, this is pretty good. What we know now is that the album doesn't hold up. But what we knew then was that maybe it wasn't our favorite, but it was selling. It was working. The video was hot. You know, with the, it's Billy, you know, my favorite, the guy talking, uh, it's Billy Joel with a new wife and a new baby. And that's the matter of trust thing. And, you know, the the MTV and the 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 hoop and the everything that went with it. This makes sense of a review back then. It just this album does not stand the test of time. Yeah, even Billy Joel himself, when you look in the Building the Bridge documentary, he's talking about like, oh, if, you, if it looks like we're having too much fun in the studio, it's because we are like we just were having a great time recording this. And then years later, he said it was not a happy album. I wasn't simpatico with the musicians some of whom I'd been working with a long time. I don't think the material was good. I was pressured by management to put it out too fast. By the end, I sort of gave up caring, which for me was unusual. I remember reading bad reviews and agreeing with them. Yeah, he says it got to the point it became such a big business. We did arena tour after arena tour, and rather than be friends like we used to be, we became business associates. People would fetch about money and their deal, and we weren't close. Everybody was looking in everybody else's pocket. Uh, of course, that led to my favorite song, uh, Money or Love. Yes? Yeah, Anybody? Yeah, Hello? Right. Is this on? Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so in-house fighting, not into it, you know, wants to spend more time with his daughters. We know from Temptation. He should be lucky he made two more albums after that at this point. Yeah. I, I could see, you could see the writing on the wall. It's his last 
record with Phil Ramone at the helm as producer. And he brings in three collaborators, uh, which I don't think he has done on any other record, right? Like three duets, basically. You have the Steve Winwood, as we know. You have a Ray Charles duet, which... And, and a Cindy Lauper, and he's looking for inspiration through these collaborators because he just can't find it on his own. And and Joel, being such a self-starter through all these other records, right? He's able to pull these songs out of his own self and his own experience. He just doesn't have enough in him uh, for the bridge, and so he's he's relying on Cindy or singing in Ray's voice and writing a song for him just to get inspired. And the results are mixed. I think. I mean, I think Baby Grand's amazing. But I think on the whole, the results are definitely mixed. Again, we've said this all came out of We Are the World, you know, when he was kind of with everybody there. And it's Mm. a post We Are the World, (laughs) a world that it is, that the bridge is. And and Mm. then, you know, what do you get from this album, too? It just gets worse. You get Kreplach and uh, (laughs) (laughs) then another album, another live album re-release of Kreplach. And it just, uh, it's weird. And But the funny thing is he only has two songs from the bridge in in a tour of the bridge on Kreplock. There's only two songs from it. So even he knew then, it's like, well, we'll do the tour. I guess I got to put in these songs. And obviously they don't stand the test of time in that album. And I'm positive in Russia when they were just saying, this is all about rock and roll and we're bringing rock and roll back to Russia, and they didn't have it. Big Man on Mulberry Street and uh, the, the the Ray Charles one are not the proper ones to do in Russia. Those aren't hard rock songs to you? <laughs> Dave yeah, likes no. the hard-edged songs like Modern Woman. Shut oh. up. How dare you? Yeah, yeah. The real heavy tunes. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the, the Russia Russia is kind of like an, a greatest hits. I mean, it's kind of what he's doing at the Garden. It's like, why go to Russia and play the new record that almost none of the Russians own? I mean, like, they, they, like they don't have access to this record maybe for another few years, more or less, in widespread, right? So so why why go there and play any song off the bridge? Paul, you're so right. That's so it, That makes so much sense. It's like, I mean, it's so sad. When you go to Paul McCartney concert and he plays the new song, everybody gets upset, <laughs> even though I think some of his new stuff has been really good with Billy Joel. I, he knows it now, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't perform at the Garden once a month just playing the classics. Alana and I talk about this all the time. It's weird that he just wouldn't want to try something new that he has or that we haven't heard. I mean, he says he writes every day. It's odd to be at a place once a month where you could be experimenting and you choose just not to even try something. I mean, he tries old ones. We've said, you know, he's like, come on guys, let's do it. But it's something off an album that, you know, Mm. we know exists. It's just kind of odd to never want to try one new thing. I think that's right. It is odd. I have a theory on that. I think there's two possible reasons for that. He doesn't want to show up early to the gig and do a sound check or rehearse for any of these gigs. The band learns the catalog of songs inside and out, and that's the gig, right? And he's got his book in front of him. He wants to get there in a helicopter an hour before show. I mean, that's what he wants to do. So that and mix with the mix with the idea that as an artist and probably a seventy-something-year-old artist to boot. He's probably, I mean, I think he's always been afraid of rejection. He's always been afraid of what people, the critics especially, have said, to your point. And to try something out at this late stage that people haven't heard, 
that his fans are there to hear the big hits. He, it's it's a fear thing. I think at the end of the day, it, it takes a lot of courage to be able to do that. Yeah, it's like a safety net that he can't. He's not too willing to do that trapeze act without it. Even though the fans obviously would be supportive of anything he does, if he threw in one or two album yeah. tracks, like December song or what have you. I mean, I mean are we asking God. for too much? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, why don't we um, go over the rankings? Are you guys ready? Yeah, I'll just start because everybody. I'm just going. I like when Paul goes backwards, but there is no reason for me to go backwards. There's no shocker here. The only shocker to everybody who listens to this podcast is would modern woman be one or two (laughs) because it's either modern woman or running on ice. So for me, it goes modern woman one. You're welcome. And it took some doing to figure it out and running on ice too. And then I swear all these could be in any order for all I care. They could all be last. I mean, this was really difficult and yet not difficult at the same time because I just couldn't care less. This is the time I put it three. I don't know why. A matter of trust. If I ever hear again, I'll be fine. Temptation goes after that. Then getting closer, which now that Paul's played it, I want to put that to three. So I've changed that needs to be three. So I knew he would change my mind the way playing it live. Then baby grand code of silence. And the last one I can't stand is big man on Mulberry street. And we all know how it is. For him. <laughs> wow. Probably one of Paul's favorites, but for me, I, I, I just, it's, <laughs> it's in my head and I hate it. I hate that. It's in my head. I don't know why I hate it. I mean, what's wrong with a big band song? It's just, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that stupid moonlighting thing. I don't know what it is that bothers me about that song. Cause technically I should like it. It's interesting. If the guy did something new and, cool but for some reason drives me nuts well let me go next (laughs) my number one song was big man on mulberry street (laughs) (laughs) i swear man well that's because they mentioned your uh, street you grew up on in it that's not fair well there's that i like that there's a mention of my street because i'm a homer i'm a sucker for that kind of stuff i'm at a concert i'll clap for that sorry what street did you grow up on grand street oh cool yeah didn't know that North of Hester and South of Grand. Mm. Um, I think it's a good song. I think there's a lot of variety to it. It feels like I understand why somebody would like it. Yeah. It's kind of funny because a lot of the songs in this album are around that same length. That song's like 525 or so. There's four other songs that are around five minutes, three other songs that are around five minutes, but none of them have that kind of feel to me like Big Man on Mulberry Street that a lot's happening, that it's a long song. After that song, I have A Matter of Trust. Now, that was like the first episode we did. And at that time, I said, this is corporate rock. I really don't like it. In hindsight, I think I was too harsh on it. And I think it is an enjoyable song. And it's catchy and I like it. So I'm giving it a, a second ranking. Then I have This Is The Time. Then Getting Closer, which I also didn't like really when we did the episode. But on listening to it earlier today. I was like, you know what? It's pretty good. Isn't that funny? I think I don't like the lyrical content so much, but as a song itself, I do enjoy it. Then, yeah, then it's kind of a mishmash. I did Code of Silence next, then Modern Woman, then Baby Grand, then Running on Ice, and then Temptation at the bottom. Really? Running on Ice is all the way down there, you son of a bitch. I had it in the middle at first, and then other things kept moving higher. Code of Silence surpassed it. Not for me. Well... I can't wait. Paul's going to go backwards. Number nine to number one. This is our favorite part of the show. Well, I have a couple questions for each of you. So wait, Lon. Capricorn. 
<laughs> Does Temptation come in last because you're not a fan of the lyrical content because it's kind of skeevy with writing about his daughter, or is it more of a musical a detriment to the music of the song? Oh, it, the whole thing. I think it's just a really boring song. Cool, cool. Okay, curious that. Do you think that if he played that, if that song was played kind of with Turnstile's production, like I love these days style, with a, with a piano and the band? Would would that you can imagine it that way, right? Because it's really just a piano ballad at the end of the day. But he's playing on this kind of cheesy mid '80s synth sound. Paul, you're just gonna have to play it, and then we'll change our <laughs> minds. Right. All right, it's that simple. <laughs> okay. So do okay. your list, and then please play us "Temptation," and I guarantee we'll change our minds. To hear Paul's list, you won't want to miss part two of the Bridge Album Wrap Up Show. And if you thought it couldn't get any better, you'd be mistaken. Do you want to play Temptation or do you want to play something else? I'd like to change Alon's mind on Temptation. You never use mouthwash and you forget to floss. Uh, yeah, we're hoping that these become like the Jingle Bells Batman smells. <laughs> Everybody's got a million questions. Everybody wants to know the score. When you're doing these songs, I, I have to rethink the whole album. A second live version of Kreplock. You don't like Odoya? And I'd like to uh, I'd like to play this as Sting would play it. That's all next time on Billy Joel A to Z. I know.